Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 11 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. Today I'm talking with Sally Jones. She's the co-founder with Steve Ronalds of Gippsland Jersey. It's an independent farmer-owned milk brand that supports the mental and emotional well-being of local dairy farmers. Now, just a quick heads up before we start, if you've got kids listening, there are some big topics in the episode today that touch on life and death issues, which you may prefer to hear with your ears only. It's your choice. Now, in this episode, you'll hear how Sally was spurred on to create Gippsland Dairy after a personal crisis that saw her father, Michael, end his life tragically in 2016. This was followed by a crash in the dairy industry, during which major milk producers slashed the prices paid to dairy farmers, leaving them in debt and despair. As a farmer-owned brand, Gippsland Dairy bypasses the major milk producers and provides not only a fair price for farmers, but also a means for consumers to make an act of support when choosing which milk brand to buy. By returning a portion of its profits to the Gippsland farming community, Gippsland Dairy is raising awareness of the importance of community connections and supporting dairy farmers suffering mental health issues. And judging by the overwhelming interest and endorsement from consumers, local businesses and other institutions, the cause and message behind Gippsland Dairy is truly touching people's hearts and minds. Also in this episode, you'll learn about the power of the golden circle and why people don't actually buy what you do or make, but the reason why you do it. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you, Susie. Thanks for having me on. It's absolutely my pleasure. And it's always good to start this uh, podcast by maybe giving the people who are listening a bit of an idea about, you know, what is your business? What is Gippsland Jersey? And, and what do you do? So Gippsland Jersey, in a little nutshell, is a small startup milk brand uh, that's come out of Gippsland's out of a personal tragedy followed by the dairy crisis and, you know, farmers not being paid a fair price for the milk that they're producing. So in amongst all of the heartache and agony, um, myself and Steve Ronalds decided that we could make a positive change and create positive social change as well in the mental health space. And the range of products you actually make, how would you describe them? Milk, literally straight white fresh milk. Beautiful milk. We aren't value adding to the milk at all at the moment. We've got um, light and full cream milk in um, two litre bottles and um, just recently we've put it into some one litre bottles as well. And you were mentioning that the business is still quite young. You started in September 2006 and you're actually, Gippsland refers to the region of Gippsland where where your farms are um, and the dairy cows are actually being milked. What makes Gippsland such a good place for dairy and dairy cows? Oh, look, it's definitely the clean, green, rolling hills, I guess, image that Gippsland portrays. And, and um, the soil is fantastic down here. So obviously the grass grows and which 
that, you know, makes beautiful milk, essentially. So, yeah, Gippsland uh, is Australia's second largest region for milk production, and it actually contributes $3 billion to our economy. Let's talk about kind of you and your journey on this. Maybe if you can give us a bit of background. Where did you sort of grow up? Are you from the dairy industry yourself? And, and what did you do first before you got into running this business? I yeah, I grew up in a dairy farm in Lakes Entrance, which is um, three and a half hours from Melbourne, in between sort of Melbourne and Canberra, essentially, I guess, along the coast. And um, my grandfather was a dairy farmer and my dad was a dairy farmer and then in the early 80s milk prices crashed and my dad was working off farm to support our family you know to support the farm essentially so left my mum and my grandma at home alone milking cows while they were off um, on the rigs on the oil rigs and um, anyway dad had an accident on the rigs and he smashed his knee and he had three months in bed, which never happens because you know dairy farmers don't don't just lie around. It's <laughs> way too busy. So he got a copy of a Weekly Times and he saw an advert for an ice cream churn, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to lease the shop and I'm going to start making ice cream and value adding to my milk. So that's that's what my parents did. They opened up in a little you know Lake Entrance is a tourist town and. Um, Ice cream and beaches go hand in hand, I think. So a dairy farmer became an ice cream maker. Surely growing up, being the kid of the um, family that owned the ice cream shop, that that would have been a pretty popular choice. Absolutely. I actually went to the dentist yesterday and um, he said, ah, do you eat a lot of sweets? And I said, not particularly, but I said, I did grow up in a family where I think we probably had minimum of two ice creams a day. (laughs) And um, I think I was the most popular kid in the in the school because I'd rock up with ice cream and cones. But yeah, look, it was certainly yeah, it was an opportunity. So the value adding. So we milked cows, we had a factory next door to the dairy and then we had ice cream shops throughout Gippsland. I'm going to ask so many questions about this because you alluded to one thing and maybe it'd be good to, to chat about it now. You talked about the milk prices crashing and there being, a, you know, this dairy crisis. Can you talk to me a bit about that for people who might not have an insight into what was happening in the Australian dairy industry? Was that the first time as a family you'd experienced that? Yeah, like I think, you know, dairy farmers just can't control anything. So you can't control the weather and you can't control your milk price. We essentially are price takers, not price makers, and it's the only industry where you pay retail and get paid wholesale. Essentially, dairy farmers were told they were going to be paid a certain amount, and then the milk companies, so they reneged, and every farmer has a different story to tell, but most farmers lost money um, because you're getting paid under the cost of even production, so you are losing money, and that's the crisis situation. So because the farmers, the dairy farmers are the primary producers, they'll create the milk and they'll have a farm gate price in mind that, oh, I'm going to be paid this much for my litres of milk and dairy manufacturers. So other companies buy that raw milk and they turn it into cheese or yogurt or ice cream or other dairy-based products. So the farmers are really reliant on the prices that they'll get from those manufacturers. Absolutely. Yep. Yep, yep, that's right. And if for whatever reason there's too much milk, there's oversupply or, you know, that the manufacturers are usually quite influential, quite sizable, if they say, I'm not going to pay that price, I'm going to pay a lower price, the farmers usually just have to bear it. That's what it becomes. Absolutely. Yep, so it's the commodity, yep. 
Now, take me back again. Let's talk about your childhood. Why am I not talking to you about your ice cream business? Why am I talking to you now about your milk products? What happened? Why Why did you not pick up and run with that business? Yeah, so it was a big family business and all of um, my siblings and my grandparents and everything sort of, our involvement sort of fizzled out. We moved to Melbourne for university and, you know, essentially got married and had kids and all that. So we weren't, we couldn't be involved as much in our family business. And mum and dad were sort of getting older and they couldn't do it without the support, you know, of all of us. That's, I think, essentially is how small businesses work is by having lots of family support. I always joke with um, my friends and say, oh, you know, we're just slave labour. <laughs> and um, my dad did sell up the factory. We still have our farm. And it, he just sort of mentally, you know, went into, he, he was an amazing person, but he just sort of battled mental health issues. Um, unbeknownst to us and um, he did struggle for three years we did all we could do to support him but it actually claimed his life um, and he took his life on our farm uh, two years ago. Oh Sally I'm just I'm so sorry for your loss that is just a terrible family tragedy to experience. Yeah look you know I'd never dreamt that would ever happen um absolutely tragic it's been the biggest sort of life event for me ever we all you know have to choose how we respond to these situations and certainly I grieved and um, our family have all grieved and we miss him terribly and then when the dairy crisis happened a few weeks after his death I had a life-defining moment when I was in the Warrigal farmers market and where I hosted five dairy farmers to come and share their personal story what the crisis meant for them emotionally and mentally and financially and I just I can still remember and visualize exactly where I was standing and it was like Sally you you know you can create change Um, you can create be a positive voice in an industry that feels like it's quite helpless so I'd had the conversation a few weeks prior to that with Steve who independently had been wanting to value add to his milk as an escape um, you know, I guess is sort of being able to control his own financial destiny. And he'd lost $170,000 on that day when the crisis happened. Um, we were family friends. So I texted him and said, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to launch a milk brand. It's going to have three pillars. And the first pillar has to have, you know, has to be around fair price for farmer. The second pillar is smashing the stigma of rural mental health because essentially a lot of men just don't talk about the, what's going on in their heads. And we just need to break that stigma. And the third one is around kindness. So um, that was easy to identify who our brand was and what we were going to stand for. And then um, I guess it was the challenge of thinking, well, how do we put milk in a bottle? How do we make that happen? Going back to when you were talking about the Warrigal Farmers Market and that kind of that point of epiphany for you. So it, it sounds like that was you channeling your dad's own sort of, you know, mental health issues and the frustration he's got with the dairy industry. What were people's reaction? Were they quite surprised? I mean, was that a familiar situation? Did people feel like they were aware that that's how dairy farmers had been feeling? I was just blown away with how many people showed up at the market. You know, there was probably three or 400 people that showed up for this session where these farmers were talking and they showed up with gifts and vouchers and all sorts of things and people were just asking, 
what milk can I buy that truly supports Gippsland farmers? This simple answer was, well, we've got no independent milk brand. People were just leaving the branded $2 milk on the shelves and only purchasing branded with a really big show of support. So it feels like you touched on you touched on such a real authentic hardship that, that people identified with that really kind of spurred a change in purchasing behaviour and a return to brands owned by the farmers themselves. It's kind of unusual because, you know, when we started talking, you said, look, I just make milk, but you've made this connection between the milk and, you know, this awareness of mental health, but actually more importantly, supporting the farmers behind the milk. Absolutely. Because if we don't look after our farmers, we simply won't have a milk industry. So um, we have to look after the people that are producing it, which then leads me on to going and talking about our random acts of kindness. So we intentionally put a couple of cents away from each milk bottle that we sell um, into a little separate fund that we literally do random acts of kindness for dairy farmers. They're, they're often um, very private, and um, but it's been incre- the, the stories of, of people that have received those random acts of kindness have been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about the product itself because, as you said, it sounds like you found someone in Steve, your co-founder, Steve Ronald, who was facing a similar issue. He was a primary you know, milk producer and was not getting great milk prices, wanted to do more with his, with his own milk. And, you know, it, it sounds a bit like you've inherited your dad's entrepreneurial spirit because I can't imagine many other farmers before you have thought, I'm, I'm creating my own brand. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, look, I still remember this, that feeling. So we, we did when we decided in that moment in that farmer's market that we were going to do it, we had milk in a bottle in three months' time. So it was a really quick startup journey, incredibly quick. Yeah, talk me through that. How did you even know what to call it? Um, we had a brainstorming session in a local restaurant with big butcher's paper and I kept saying we just have to call it what it is it's Jersey milk say where we are who we are and where we're from so it just was a logical decision in the end it was like Gippsland Jersey it's made in Gippsland and Jersey milk so um, that's how essentially I guess it came about I love it because talking about the provenance or the source of where produce comes from is a massive trend at the moment. And you see this on products that probably don't even have the right to talk about it, you know, that they come from this certain road or this region or this farm. But but yours is the reality. You really are from Gippsland and it's Jersey cow milk. Truly, nothing more annoys me when I see the word Gippsland being used by companies that have no affiliation with Gippsland or (laughs) don't benefit our region or aren't aren't really present at all. Um, It really infuriates me, actually. Yes, I can only imagine how frustrating that must be. Now, let's talk about your packaging and how you decided to bring that brand to life. What did you do when it came to designing a uh, packaging label? So, my dad loves gold. And he always said, oh, you know, it's all about premium. Jersey milk in particular is the best milk you can buy. So it's high in protein, high in fat, and the taste is really, it's a a very unique um, flavor in terms of people say, oh, it's like the milk we used to have. So it's full of body and and goodness. So it was metallic gold. That wasn't even a question. And it's just literally a gold cow with the word Gippsland Jersey on it. very simple but understated and quite elegant. And did you have to go to a fancy agency to get that design made? No, it cost just 400 bucks. Oh, you're kidding. How did you get that done? 
very fortunate enough to have a guy that we knew. He just showed so much gorgeous generosity towards us and, and created this logo for us, which we'll be internally grateful for. With a lot of chewing and throwing, it did take a few months to nail the right shaped cow and um, the right look that we wanted. I think he said he did about 20 concepts for us. And, you know, at the end, it was quite a um, release to hand it over. And clearly a result you feel really comfortable with, personally connected and you love. So that's the important thing. Yeah, really proud of it. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear how Sally Jones of Gippsland, Jersey, realised the power of her message to support local farmers and how it captured the hearts and minds of consumers and businesses to rapidly fast forward her startup journey. Hey everyone, just a quick thanks to today's sponsor, Rocket Cedar, who helped make this podcast possible. Rocket Cedar accelerates the pace of food and agriculture innovation. They help entrepreneurs right through the value chain from production to consumption. Rocket Cedar provides a range of structured innovation and entrepreneurship programs, high performance coaching, and builds communities around entrepreneurs, providing them with the growing conditions so they can start up fast and grow rapidly. Rocket Cedar works with entrepreneurs seeking to bring new products or services to market, including food and beverages, software and hardware, chemistry, materials, equipment, packaging, new processes and new business models. You could be at early stage with just a cracker of an idea or all the way to a minimum viable product or service with paying customers. So if you or someone you know is working on a food or agriculture related business idea or a startup, then find out more about how Rocket Cedar can help at www.rocketcedar.com. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking to Sally Jones, the co-founder of Gippsland Dairy. And you've heard so far how, out of personal tragedy, Sally created Gippsland Jersey as a means to drive fair pay for dairy farmers and support their mental health well-being. Now, so far, Sally has brainstormed a name and for $400 had a milk label designed. So I asked her how she went about then becoming a milk producer and putting their delicious Gippsland Jersey milk into a bottle to sell. Good question. Um, we don't have, we didn't obviously, well, we still don't have money to build a factory. So we had to look for a processor that would fit within our values. So it was very important that we chose a family owned Australian company that could do it. That was quite daunting. I still remember when we went to one of the companies and pitched our idea to CEO. And at this stage, you know, we still hadn't really nailed down exactly who we were. We had no idea how much they'd charge us a litre. We even took in, you know, those like sport drink carriers. We took in sport drink carriers with milk in bottles, like old school and did the whole pitch. And it was looking back and it was like, oh my goodness, total overkill. But anyway. And so what happened? They didn't like it? They loved it so much that that particular company did want to actually co-brand us. And that was quite enticing at the time because we thought we've got no equity. We don't know what we're necessarily doing here. But we knew that if we got into bed with them, that it wouldn't be our voice. We wouldn't be able to truly express ourselves. So we declined and we went for another one. 
Wow. So they were so interested. They were like, great, we'll do this with you. We'll put our brand on it as well. Yep. They wanted to co-brand our brand because they knew that the story had power. Our brand is so personal. It's it's come out of an, you know a personal experiences. And, you know, no one could ever replicate it. Yeah. Did that give you a boost of confidence? You thought, I literally just told these people my story. I don't even know what I'm asking in terms of payment or volumes or liters. And, and they want in? Yeah. We didn't even know if it was viable, to be honest, until we got that figure out of them. But we did. We walked out of that meeting and um, we felt quietly confident that, you know, our brand will resonate. You know, if a, if a company was sort of quite keen on... Um, getting involved with us even before we'd even started, it did give us a bit of confidence. Yeah. Was that then the point you said, well, we better find some way to sell this because we're going to get the product out there into people's hands? No, we started a social media page and we just started telling our stories. I think the first photo on Instagram was a photo of Steve's holy socks and I just posted it saying, you know, hopefully, hopefully by starting a milk brand, this dairy farmer will be able to afford a new pair of socks. Was this straight after the market, Sally? Was that that soon after you'd had your, your brainwave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as we had a name, I started a Facebook page. There was no logo. From there on in, we just told our story. Like As it rolled out every day, it was almost like a little diary of our startup. And so it started off with family and friends, obviously, just supporting the page. And then it's just grown. And um, we're 19 months into our brand now, and we've got over 12,000 followers on our Facebook and over 5,000 on our Instagram, which has been all organic. There's been no paid advertising. And so to that point, did you find, did the Facebook and people's just natural interest and attraction, because you were telling such a heartfelt, authentic story, did that open some doors for you in terms of stores wanting to stock your milk? Yeah. So people that were following us were essentially our salespeople. (laughs) They went into stores and asked stores to stock it for us. It was incredible. It still is incredible. People still doing that for us. So we've now got, you know, stock lists of over 200 shops stocking our brand. Wow. And what distribution do you like? Who do you think, yeah, that's the sort of stores we're aiming for? Are you you kind of trying to hit the big retailers, the Coles and Woolworths? So two weeks into the brand, we got a phone call from Woolworths saying, congratulations, we're going to stock you in 48 stores in Victoria. And... um, We did initially celebrate and went, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. We've made it. Because it's not just about us. Like We're actually on about wanting other farmers to supply the brand so they can be paid a fair price. Um, But then, you know, come Monday, we read the fine print and thought, ooh, actually, we're not ready. We haven't got a firm handle on this. We need to just ride this out, get a really strong base of loyal customers. So all the small businesses, independent supermarkets and corner stores and cafes, et cetera, all got on board and stocked our milk, which has been, that's, that's what's totally propped us up the whole way up until now. But in order for us to grow, it is about volume. So we have been back to Woolworth. We're, we're now in 12 Gippsland stores. Because I speak to a lot of food startups and entrepreneurs and, and that sort of getting statewide or national distribution with the big retailers is, is kind of like their, their gold standard. That's what they're aiming for. But you said no initially. What did, what did Woolworths say when you came back and said, you know what, thanks, but not now? I, I can't remember my life in the last 18 months. It was like a whirlwind, but we felt good about the decision. Like even though it was a hard decision to make because we knew that potentially that was our one and only chance maybe um, we might have blown it. But um, you know, we get a bit of leverage as well because we've heard so many horror stories of supermarkets dumping the brand after a certain amount of time and they've just wanted to leverage the good PR out of your own brand. Like, we're up the creek without a paddle. So 
was just a little bit of a wisdom moment. Yeah, that was a very cool and calm, level-headed decision at a point where, as you were saying, you could have really used that distribution. Like that could have been your ramping up stage. So it sounds like local shops and locally situated, but also the smaller. You're also looking for personal connection from from the stores that are selling you. Yeah, they have to believe in our brand and who we stand for. It's all about relationships and fostering all of those relationships. So via our social media page, we give them a shout out and say, hey, listen, guys, you know, this local cafe that's just come on board and supported our milk, guys, go down there and buy your coffee. You know, they're supporting your local farmer. So, And then it, it helps their business. So it's, it's been a very much a collaborative effort, I guess. And the power of social media, you know, as well, it's amazing, that platform. And how many people have you now got? Who's on your team? Is it is it you and just you and Steve still? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, it's just the two of us still. We do have um, a lady that does the books for us to make sure that we can stay afloat. But yeah, it's just us. And um, we do have a distribution company that helps to deliver because we've got a big geographic region that we're spread over. Most of the milk's coming from Steve's farm. And we're able to bring on another farmer that can top us up as well. So we've essentially got two farms supplying. Uh, what I was going to ask is, um, you know, how high is up for you guys? Are you are you going to go into other products apart from milk? Yep, that's the goal. We'd really like to. Just gotten back from China. I went on a Victorian government trade mission um, to explore what the market is like in China because we hear that. Chinese people love Australian milk and they're paying $12 a litre for it. It was very eye-opening to see the opportunity over there. So it would be very short-sighted of us not to, you know, I guess possibly down the track think about export. And let's talk about, you mentioned earlier, and I do want to, I do want to touch on this in a little bit more detail, about the, the random acts of kindness you do. How do you kind of keep track of that or, or stay involved with that? Oh, we have a we simply have a spreadsheet and we just log them in. So as as we hear a need, we're able to respond in a way that we feel um, is appropriate and that would be most, I guess, personal for that particular farmer. So um, it can be as little as um, like you know, paid for counselling or paid for relief milkers with you know haircuts. So yeah, just as we hear little needs, it's just who we are. Like we just. You know, if we had more money, we'd we'd be paying off everyone's farms, and you know, like, oh, yeah, but we can't. So it's just where we see need, and if we can reinstate a little bit of um, positiveness into that farmer's life, then we'll do whatever we can. There's no rules around it, by the sounds of it. It's just where you see the need. You offer a really personal, you know, act of kindness, as you say, or a little help. You know, they're always very humble, proud people as well. Generally, dairy farmers and they're very resilient, but no one's unbreakable. And um, often it's just, you know, the smallest gesture can put a bit of a circuit breaker in into people's lives. I actually launched a, a mental health calendar just a few weeks ago on my dad's birthday that, that tells 12 dairy farmers' stories. And they tell their mental health story for the very first time. And it's very candid and raw. And um, it's been very powerful. So, for example, People that have dealings with these farmers on a day-to-day level have no idea that these people are battling something behind the, the mask. So it's been this incredible, you know, we've already seen social change around mental health and how people are um, understanding it much better. We've still got a long way to go. 
again, when we started this and you said, you know, what's your products? Well, it's milk in a bottle, but it feels like this is a social enterprise. You're launching calendars, you're raising awareness for mental health. This feels like a much bigger platform. Yeah, so milk is just the um, the conduit, I guess, to creating social change because, you know, it's such a personal thing for me, the lived experience of living through with someone with mental health um, and just understanding the challenges and the hardship of it. You know, it's not just the person suffering the mental health, it's also for the people that are supporting them as well. And uh, what is your mum now saying about what you're doing now? She's very supportive. She's she's great. You know, what I'm doing isn't anything new to what mum and dad did. I'm just rewriting my chapter of it, I think. You know, I guess being able to do this as an honour project for my dad as well. And I think the apple didn't fall far from the tree with um, me and my dad. And as you say, I, I can't imagine her being anything but proud by how strongly you're honouring your dad's memory and bringing awareness to an issue that he clearly struggled with and and now helping others in the same area. So you're 18 months into your startup journey, Sally, and looking back, what for you have been maybe the hardest parts to deal with? You can get overwhelmed on the journey, especially being a startup where you're throwing everything at it, got no resources or, you know, you're just flying on a whim. And um, it's certainly not for the faint-hearted being an entrepreneur or um, or a startup. You have to have a certain amount of energy that you have to just throw in every single day because no one's going to make it happen except for you. Mm, wise words indeed. So you mentioned the calendar, which is your latest uh, launch, essentially. Um, where could people find Sally more out about you and Gippsland Jersey and maybe buy the calendar? Where can they find all that information? Oh, we'd love people to get on board and um, support the calendar and read the stories of these farmers. Essentially, uh, the profits from the calendar are going back into our Random Acts of Kindness Fund. So if they buy a calendar, then know that it's going to a good place. Yeah, so that's available online on www.gippslandjersey.com.au or if you're a social media user, please follow our journey along on Instagram or Facebook. And I will make sure I put those links in the show notes for anybody who's listening who definitely wants to go ahead and um, purchase that calendar and also just find out where to buy the beautiful Gippsland Jersey milk. So look, thank you so much for your time, Sally. I wish you every luck in your future endeavors. You are, you're on the startup journey, but you, you feel like you've come a long way already. So I wish you every success in the future. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate that. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Sally Jones of Gippsland, Jersey, and reflect on an insight from her startup journey. As Sally mentioned, she didn't have a lot of money. She got a label made for $400, and she started sharing their startup journey on Facebook. And people really got behind the brand. They helped her open up distribution in local cafes and restaurants. In fact, the very first milk producer she approached believed so strongly in their cause that they wanted to co-brand the milk. And even Woolworths, a major retailer often focused on price cutting, actually leapt at the chance to range their Gippsland jersey milk. So what's going on here? I mean, it's just fresh good milk, isn't it? Well, I think Gippsland Jersey is the perfect example of the power of communicating and knowing your business why. 
And what I mean by that is, in creating Gippsland Jersey, Sally and Steve built more than simply a milk brand. They built a platform that helps them raise awareness and support for their personal beliefs, the importance of community connections, fair pay in the dairy industry, and supporting dairy farmers suffering mental health issues. This deeply personal and heartfelt cause, this compelling and clear desire to help dairy farmers who are struggling, it's like a beacon of hope and goodwill. And it's so refreshingly authentic and meaningful that it inadvertently captures the hearts and minds of those who come into contact with it. In fact, I believe it's been instrumental in the business's early startup success. So what does this mean for you and your business? Well, today, I'd like to talk about a communication model from one of my own personal gurus, Simon Sinek, and his golden circle that starts with why. Now, for those of you familiar with Simon's work, you're probably responsible for one of the 40 million views of his TED Talk on TED.com. It's the third most watched talk on that platform. And if you haven't seen it, I'll put links in the podcast show notes so you can do so. So let me tell you a little bit more about Simon and his model. Simon Sinek is an ethnographer, author, university lecturer, and leadership consultant. And he observed people and businesses who were succeeding ahead of others, even when their competition had more resources or were better qualified or better connected. And he saw a pattern for their success, which he captured in a model called the Golden Circle. Now, let me describe this model to you. You need to imagine three circles, one inside the other, almost like an archery target. The outer circle is the what. It represents what as a business you do or make. The next second circle in is the how. It's how you do what you do, your unique selling proposition, your secret source or your special process. And the last circle, the inner bullseye, that's the why. Why you do what you do. Now, Simon Sinek suggests that most businesses talk from the outside of the circle in. They communicate what they do, how they do it, and rarely share their reason why. Usually, that's because they don't know why they do what they do. What's their purpose, their cause, their belief? This is not about profit or sales. That's a business outcome or result. Your why is the reason you go to work every day and why anyone else cares. Simon observed that people don't buy what you do, but why you do it. And that those businesses or individuals that seem to succeed against all odds talk from the inner circle outwards. They share why they do what they do how they do it, and finally, what they do. The opposite of what most businesses do. Now, while Simon uses Apple computers as an example of his model, I'm going to use Gippsland Jersey because it so beautifully demonstrates the power of their why and the reason I believe they're so much more than a simple milk brand. Now, if Gippsland Jersey were a regular business, they'd talk from the outside of the golden circle in, and their message might sound something like this. We make delicious fresh milk. It's from Jersey cows in Gippsland. Want to buy some? And that's okay. In fact, that's what most food and beverage businesses do. 
However, here's what I see Sally and Steve doing instead with Gippsland Jersey. They talk from the inside circle out. They start with their reason why. So it might go something more like this. We believe in helping dairy farmers who are struggling. We offer fair milk prices, do random acts of kindness, and build local community connections. We do this by making Jersey cow milk from Gippsland. Want to buy some? People don't buy what you do, but why you do it. If you were to put aside just for a minute the business outcome of obtaining revenue and income, profit, are you crystal clear about why you're doing what you're doing in your business? And do you share that why with others, your employees, suppliers and consumers? And could you actually reverse the way you communicate from what you do to why you do it? Could you do this in an authentic way that rings true in every business act you do? And your reason why it doesn't have to be a, a formal big charity or cause. It could be something as simple as bringing a moment of joy to others or celebrating people's diversity or simply making life a little bit easier every day. If so, you'll build a business with unstoppable momentum, just like Gippsland Jersey, and one that attracts people to it, who willingly and wholeheartedly want to be part of something that supports a meaningful why. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest today, Sally Jones of Gippsland Jersey, for sharing her heartwarming startup story with us. If you'd like to get in touch with me with a comment or question, don't hesitate to email me on podcast at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. Well, thank you again for listening and join me next time to Eat, Drink and Innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 